0: It is Mailbag Monday, and we'll be going through some of our listeners' questions and breaking down some very interesting talking points from the best overagers from the 2023 draft to an early 2022 redraft, all coming up on today's episode of Locked On NHL Prospects.
1: You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hello, and welcome back to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, we break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. Uh, during the summertime, though, it's going to be three times a week. Sebastian joins me on today's episode so for us to discuss our Mailbag Monday questions. Uh, Sebastian, what do you think, first and foremost, before we get into it, uh, about the questions we received? Uh, what do you think will be the most interesting to talk about in this episode?
1: Ooh, there are some fun ones in here. Yeah. Uh i think I think I'm most excited to to look back at the twenty twenty two draft and seeing where Snuggery would rank because I've kind of been like considering that question in my brain for a while, uh just considering how good his d plus one season was. so I'm looking forward to delve into that.
0: Absolutely. Now we also have one question that wasn't asked to us, but was floating around on Twitter that we thought was really interesting for this Mailbag Monday. So we'll be plugging that in as well. But before we get into any of that, just make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. It's always very much appreciated. So we'll start with a question from a good friend of ours, Aaron Notovic. Um, who asks? Where does Francesco Delce De get drafted this year? For those who don't know, Francesco Delce De was um, a draft eligible from the 2023 draft, went undrafted, was invited to the Montreal Canadiens training camp uh, to their development camp, and did fantastically uh, in the games that uh, he he uh, he featured in in the scrimmage. It um, was really impressive on both ends. He's a we're a big fan of his. Um, so, Sebastian, what do you think about that? Do you think he gets drafted next year? And if he does. What's the most likely team to take a swing on him?
1: Ooh, that, that one's tougher. Uh, I I do think it gets drafted for sure. I think uh, him yeah. and Gavin Thorson were the two players in this draft who I thought, I understood why they didn't get picked, but I think are going to be really upping their values in the next year that I think would have been high value selections in the seventh round. Uh, yeah. Del Alce is a mobile puck moving defenseman, who excelled against bad competition all year long, uh, but every single time where he was in a, put in a situation against better competition, even if it's against if it was against like USA prep school hockey, such as uh, going against like Shattuck-St. Mary's, for instance, is a leap yeah. in competition compared to, high, to Canadian high school hockey. And he looked great in every viewing I had in that context. And I think that his performances in the Habs rookie camp uh, echoed that in terms of. Yes, there's a ton of raw skill here. Uh, he's very, very raw. He's he's super raw, uh, considering he's going to Penticton of the BCHL as a D plus one. That shows how yeah. raw he is. Mm-hmm. But I really think he's going to to shoot the lights out uh, in Penticton, and I mean that quite literally. He's uh, he has a great shot. He's a really good goal scorer. I Think among all 2023 eligible defensemen. He was my second favorite shooter of the bunch behind Axel Sandin Pelica. Uh, yep. It's it's a very very small part of being a defenseman, and I think it's perhaps a bit overvalued sometimes. But I think it's of note, and he's really fun. So I, I do I do think he gets drafted. My guess would be he gets drafted in the fourth or around the fourth round, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised. if It's Carolina taking that swing, considering how familiar they are with Penticton, and yep. uh, he's right up there at least stylistically.
0: Yeah, I think also just being a part of the uh, Montreal Canadiens uh, rookie camp will help kind of push them in that direction. Perhaps, um, like I said, he was really, really good. He was one of the best defensemen in that uh, rookie camp. And that includes a lineup that included the, the 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 likes of Lane Hudson and David Reinbacher and Logan Mayu. So he was. He was outperforming uh, Mayu for sure uh, in in that game uh, and a couple other guys who have some experience, uh, John Parker Jones, who's been a regular at at rookie camp. Um, So it was really, really impressive to watch him go about it. But for our second question of our first segment, we've got Anthony Anthony Vincenzo again who asks, was Isaac Howard's year just a fluke or is his level still there? Because he had an off year this year in the NCAA.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think it was a fluke. Um, I mean, it was a massive difference if you're looking at his production as a draft eligible and as a D plus yeah. one, like huge gap. And I do think the reality is somewhere in between. I don't I don't think he's as electrifying as an offensive player as the production of his draft year perhaps sort of indicated. Uh, but I thought he was a perfectly good pick at 30th overall. Like this is a skilled, pacey player, and he just wasn't really put in a position to succeed this season. Like I. I saw a lot of games where he was kind of being buried down the lineup or even when he was playing bigger minutes he was i don't know he he wasn't necessarily give, being given the strongest line mates and he was getting some uh, like mainly starting off the fly he wasn't getting too many offensive zone starts yeah uh that said it wasn't a great year for him uh but i i do think that the the skill and intelligence and pace are are, are all good enough for him to to be a first round caliber player uh, so I, somewhere in between, I, 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 think, I think he's going to be a, a fun middle six skill guy. I don't think he's going to be one of those like, like really clear top six talents.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I think at the same time, just being in the Tampa system, being surrounded by the, the, the development staff that they have for and sure. eventually making his way to Syracuse, which just seems to be an NHL kind of producer, uh, overall from the AHL. I think it's it's he's well-surrounded enough that I'm not too concerned, but obviously a year like this can impact a player's confidence, can impact their projection. Um, it's just a matter of time with, with Howard. I think we'll have a better idea of what he's truly like next year. If this continues, maybe a bit of a concern, but we'll see where that goes. And then we've got Glep Hockey as our third question uh, of the first segment, asking what our top five overagers from the 2023 NHL drafts would be. Um, now we've got a couple names in here I want to start with Cole Knubel who was a personal favorite of mine. I thought I thought he should have I been did. drafted last year for sure um he's greatly greatly improved his net front game he's greatly improved his ability to make plays in transition as well he was kind the of give and go. Uh, yeah hes he, he was kind of a one-dimensional kind of rush to the net type of guy but he's learned some delay elements he's learned that given go game that's really really important at the next level um he's added a lot of very interesting tools to his game. Um, anything else that I might not have mentioned there, uh, Sebastian?
1: Not really. I mean, yeah. it's his intensity. that That's so much fun. He's a great fit in Philadelphia. Uh, he had another pick of their draft class that I thought was excellent. Uh, but definitely should have. He was one of the players I was really surprised got passed up in 2022. Yeah. And his progression in the last year has been like phenomenal. So uh, I, I loved that pick. He was my favorite overage selection in this draft by a decent margin.
0: Absolutely. And then we've got Bogdan Konyushkov, a uh, left handed defenseman. Um, right shot. I was playing. Oh, right shot.
1: He's a right shot.
0: I always mix up my shots. So, yeah, no. Uh, Konyushkov has a right shot D in the KHL, put up some decent numbers, played some decent minutes, which is very rare for a 19 year old. Um, and he was, I know he was pretty high on a couple of teams boards for sure. Um, on our end, we don't really scout the KHL too much because we're mainly focused on the junior leagues, making sure we get those viewings in, but, uh, I, I've watched, I've,
1: I've watched him a bit, so I, I can, I yeah. can chime in on, 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 him. Uh, he is, he is a true quarterback with the puck. He, he loves having the puck on his stick. He's a very strong passer, and when he sees a pass, he can usually hit his target. Uh, he, that said, he's not overly dynamic. He's, he, he's, he's a good Perhaps, like, like, sticks to the blue line, good distributor, uh, decent puck skills, can get by one four checker pretty easily, yeah. uh, but he's not going to be taking control of shifts in the offensive zone. Uh, sure. Same thing in transition. Like, he's he's, he's a good outlet, outlet passer, but he's not going to be overly dynamic. That mm. said, I think it was great value uh, where the Habs picked him, and he's a guy that I would have ranked on my board had he been on my radar uh, with what I've seen since the draft. So... Mm. I think mm-hmm. he was a really, really solid overage selection. I know some teams like that, 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 that like their Russians and uh, like taking big swings, uh, like Knyushkov quite a bit. So there's also that. Uh, so I, I think he was a really good overage selection too.
0: Absolutely, I kind of got the same uh, impression in my viewings post draft of him. I especially liked. Um, I felt like his rush defending went a bit under under ranked. Yeah. Um, he's definitely the type of guy who's able to. He's quite mobile. He keeps a really good gap, which is what he you does. want out of a defenseman of his kind of he, profile. He matches footwork better than most 20-year-old KHLers. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, And then we move on to Marcel Marcel, was a decent pick by Chicago. He's one of the funkier players uh, out <laughs> of the draft, a very, very special type of guy who's just bigger and stronger than everyone in uh, the QMJHL. It's just a matter of how that projects. Um, so he's pretty interesting for me for Chicago, especially in the later rounds where they picked him. But one guy really shown to me was uh, Rodman Dionicio, probably one of the more raw players, um, especially at his age, at, at, at 20-ish. Um, and it's just the passing is so crisp. The intelligence is high-end. The offensive game is so good. Um, but he's he's very uh, chaotic as a defenseman. And it's just a matter and of how you develop that. Bad. <laughs> It's, it's just the bad. Skating it's really
1: needs bad. work, a lot of work. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, but you can refine something out of that for sure.
1: For sure, and I think one last name I'll throw in there for the top five is Arno a uh, German goaltender, uh, did really well in the DEL, uh, and I've watched a little bit of him since the draft uh, because he, he he caught my eye, and I, w- I was talking uh, with some people about him, uh, and and he he's been quite impressive, quite controlled yep. in his movements. Uh, I mean, he had a very big role as a starting DEL goalie at the age of 20, and Mm. he did very well. Plus, Dallas Scouts goalie's pretty better than the vast majority of NHL teams. So the fact that they picked him in the fifth or sixth there... I think is is good value for sure.
0: So we'll get into our second segment, uh, which includes Sebastian's favorite question uh, about the 2022 early redraft. But before we get into our second segment, I just want to talk to you about our sponsor for this episode, AG1. AG1 is a great nutritional supplement which you can take in the morning, in the afternoon, whenever suits you. Uh, and it kind of lasts you through the day. It gives you a lot of the vitamins and nutrients that you need to go through your day. Um, I take NG1 in the morning personally uh, before starting my day, and I can feel the, the kind of energy boost throughout the day. Um, really helps you in terms of your energy level, your mood, um, and it's just a great kind of immune uh, system supporter. Uh, so I uh, usually take it in the morning and then I usually have soccer around eight, nine in the in the at night. and I can still feel that boost a little bit once I get to my game. So really helpful in that sense. Um, I started drinking AG1 probably a couple months ago uh, when I started playing soccer, and I really felt a major difference in my uh, effort level in games, uh, my ability to go through a game, to recover quickly. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash NHLnetwork. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash NHLnetwork to get that great deal on your first purchase. So go and check it out. All right, so for our second segment, we're going to go into uh, a couple details for starters here. Our first question is Sebastian's favorite of this episode, and it's going to be our kind of early redraft of the 22, 2022 NHL draft based on uh, their draft plus one year, how they, how they did in this year. And specifically, Kamal is asking about where would Jimmy Snuggerud rank? Um, let's start with that. So do you think he'd be a top 10, top 15 pick? Uh what would he look like if we were to redraft the 2022 NHL draft?
1: De- definitely on the fringe of the, of the top 10. I think possibly inside it. I have to fully re-rank my board here. Uh, but I'm trying to do so mentally. Uh I think on my board he'd probably be somewhere around 12th or 13th in a re in a re-ranking. Uh I think he would have he would have leap leapfrogged players like Matthew Savoy. Uh Denton Matejchuk, maybe Noah Usland as well, who had a good season. But uh, Demi Snuggerud really, really was, I guess, in the shadows uh, in that NTDP team. And he was one of the guys who I missed uh, of just how how skilled he was because uh, I ranked him way too low. It it it, it pains me how low I had him ranked 36th overall in that one. Pains because it was bad and I've watched like a decent amount as a D plus one and every time I watch, I'm just like it's like bang head on table moment for me of like I shouldn't have fallen into that one because uh I've gone back and watched some, some some draft year footage and and like the signs are there it wasn't like it was invisible um so uh, he, he's, he's been excellent. He's worked every, on every facet of the, of the game where he was kind of a complimentary score with the NTDP. He is a dry, an offensive driver, like a for, top line elite offensive driver in the NCAA as a freshman, yeah. really, really impressive stuff. Uh, so I think he'd, he'd be right around that top 10 range, uh, probably a little bit behind guys like Lane Hudson and Simon Nemetz, but close, close to that the fringes of that tier. So, uh yeah, he, he's been very good.
0: Oh, absolutely. I would also put him, like, just outside the top 10 as well. Yeah. Um Very, very decent in terms of how he's improved his game, how he's molded his game in order to fit well with uh the players that he's playing with, which is really good. Um, But just to kind of go in a different direction, I just kind of want to redo that top five. uh Personally, yeah. I think that would be a good idea. It's tough. Uh, personally, yeah, I think Logan Cooley has really kind of Proved me wrong. I had him ranked six in in yeah. 2022, and Adam Ford. he's a really, yeah, no, he he's coming to his own. He's developed his game really well. He's added a lot of the more refined, deceptive elements that I was looking for for a dynamic player like him. It's so important to be able to manipulate at a higher level than he already did, and I was really impressed with what I saw from him in the NCAA with uh, Minnesota. So that's definitely one guy who would it was kind of separated himself at first overall. Then definitely Shane Wright, uh, I think, is still kind of in that conversation for me he would be just behind Logan Cooley um you know obviously this year wasn't ideal for him especially with the start to the uh, to his NHL campaign um didn't get to play a lot of minutes uh didn't play his full 9 games stint either he played 8 games and then was sent down played a couple of games with the AHL and then just went back to uh, the OHL got traded Um, and with Shane Wright, you could really see how dominant he was against his age group. It was just, it was no contest. He's really just so good, um, at anticipating the game, getting ahead of plays, thinking of the game three, four steps ahead. And I think that's just going to get better as the year, um, as the years go on and he, and he kind of develops into his own. Um, then there's a conversation to be had for David Yeracek. I absolutely love David Yerichek, and I'd be remiss to rank him anywhere lower than three. Um, yeah. Him and Simon Nemets to me have kind of always been the comparison heading into the draft. Uh, Nemitz going second is very high to me. Uh I For agree. me, I, re- I really thought Juracek was going to be the first pick just based on his profile, based on what he does on the ice. Um For me, Juracek is a lot more toolsy than Nemets, even though Nemets for me is probably the smartest defenseman out of that class outside of Lane Hudson. Um yeah. So the intelligence is there with Niemets. The skating is there with Niemets. Just the tools aren't all there. He's not the most physical. He's not the best handler, the best playmaker, the best goal scorer. Yerchek has all of that. And for the longest time, I I preferred toolkit over tools. But at some point, Yerchek's level of tools just outrank Niemets' toolkit, in my opinion. So that's how I see it. I'd probably put Juracek at three, Niemets at four. Then we're talking Frank Nazar. It's just hard to rank him higher just because he pretty much didn't play this year. Yeah. Uh, so that's... That's the thing.
1: I, I think we could we can drop Nazar down without being an affront on on his game just because yeah. losing your D plus one entire season in development rough. Yeah. is rough. I, I think yeah. my top have you finished your top five?
0: Uh yeah, I'll probably put Nazar five and then Slovkovsky at six, possibly. Okay.
1: I think for my my top five, so for you, mm-hmm. Cooley separated himself from the pack. For me, I have three guys that are all in contention for number one. I think I have, mm-hmm. I have a tier of three players at, at the top, and it would be Wright, Cooley, and check. I think those yeah. are, like, you agree, those are the clear top three with a yeah. with a year of retrospect uh, from, from my standpoint as well. Uh, how you order that, I think, is up to you. I think right now I might do Yeracek, Cooley, Wright, but I don't feel strongly about that. Like, I had Wright ranked yeah. first, and... I would still be happy taking him first overall. Uh, like it, it, sure. it's it's really tight at the top end with a year of retrospect. Uh, for four and five, I've got four names and I don't know how to order them. Uh, but it's it's Frank Nazar, um, Brad Lambert, Urius Sifkovsky, and Lane Hudson. And I think yep. anywhere between between uh, like what like four and seven with those four guys any order i think could be fine uh, i probably want uh in my heart of hearts i'd say hudson at four lambert at five nazar six sarkovsky seven but mm-hmm. i really just have those two tiers right now in a redraft because i I haven't watched enough of their D plus one tape to really have a, a slam dunk like one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I do have like those two distinct top end tiers that I think have separated themselves from the pack, and then you mm-hmm. have a bunch of other names that are awesome coming in behind them, right? Like you have the the you have the Nemetses, right? You have, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, I as we were just forgot talking about
0: Pavel Minchikov, man, like right? it's
1: just he... he's he's just... also excellent, right? He's like, insane. Yeah. Then you have, uh, I think Jimmy Snuggerud is around that is in that mix as well. Uh, same with guys like Matechuk, Matejchuk, um, and and uh, oh, also Yuri Kulik is definitely in that in that next tier for sure, of players. Yeah. Like uh, Marco Casper, you have a lot of guys that are right in this range, but mm-hmm. like for the top end, I really just have those two tiers.
0: Um, which prospects were you most wrong about? So high upside that never panned out. Um, I have a guy in mind, but I want you to go first, Sebastian.
1: Yeah, um, I have a few names that I think are kind of in contention. I haven't done this long enough, really, to, to feel confident saying it, because uh, yeah. so I'm looking back at like the 2020 draft class, 2021. Um, I think the, the two names that stand out to me would be Cole Perfetti at five. That was way too high. That was a learning experience. Uh, I was I, I fell in love with, 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 with how he thought the game, how, how he thinks the game. He's so intelligent. Uh, same thing with like Marco Rossi. Yeah, I had ranked third overall. And I, I I do think if it hadn't been for his awful bout with COVID, that he he could be at that level. Uh, but he's playing catch up right now. And the other one is I had Maverick Bork ranked high, like I think like like 13, 12, 13 range. Uh, and I was very convinced that this was a top six for sure. And he's been good, he's developed well since he's been drafted. But I just, I I didn't have the trajectory quite pinned down. And I think he's more likely a middle six player than a top six. And drafting in the first round is a pretty big gap between those two categories.
0: For sure. Now, I do have a couple uh, of guys in mind who I was definitely higher on than consensus. And in retrospect, I just put a lot of value on smarts when you also need some surrounding skill and tools that will help you bring out the best out of your smarts. So that's a learning curve for me. Definitely uh, Francesco Pinelli. In his draft year in 2021, I had him ranked eighth overall, I believe, which is extremely high. Um he's been decent so far in the OHL, but I kind of predicted him to be an NHLer by this time, and he's still in the OHL. Um, and he's probably got a couple AHL years left before we actually see him playing the NHL, and when he does reach that level, he's probably gonna be in kind of a third line role. Um, so I put a lot of emphasis and value on his smarts and he could still surprise uh, a lot of people and end up being a top six piece. I just think it's a lot, a lot less likely than I thought it was in his draft here. And the other guy's probably very, very, very similar to Brendan Benelli in his profile is Gleb Cherkozov, who I had ranked ninth overall, um, in 2022, 2021, 2022, two. not even sure anymore. Uh, but doing two. this for so long, so- yeah. So yeah. I had him ranked ninth overall in 2022. He was a great pickup at 63 uh, or 62 by um, by the Carolina Hurricanes. Fantastic pickup for them. Um, and it's just I, he's developed really well in the in the VHL so far. I just was he's another guy who I put a lot of value on his smarts, on his intelligence, because he's one of the smartest, if not the smartest player from the 2022 class. But I had a Brighton Hudson. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Uh, yeah, I no, would definitely be on that one. I love his That's intelligence. Fun. I love the way he reads the game, uh, especially the defensive acumen is just insane. Um, but yeah, I put a lot of value on that and I'm still not sure whether or not he would go in my top 10 or even top 15 in the redraft. Um, even though he has developed well and he's putting up decent numbers, I still think he's a bit of a long shot uh, to kind of become a top six NHL piece, a lot more of a long shot than I thought he was in his draft year. Uh, uh, but I, should... same, same thing
1: for me with Brad Lambert last year. I had him ranked third overall. And despite a very good development season, He's dropping down to like sixth on that on that ranking.
0: Yeah, and it's it's marginal, but still it's noticeable when you look back. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that's for our second segment. Now we're gonna go into our first segment of Mailbag Monday questions. We've got a couple of very very interesting ones uh, coming up, including my favorite question uh, of this Mailbag Monday uh, episode. We'll all get we'll get right into it right after these messages. Alrighty, so heading into our final segment of this Mailbag Monday episode, we're gonna start with a. Good, very good question by Dan Moldaver uh, on Twitter, who asks, what does Slavkovsky, what does URS Slavkovsky need to do um, and improve upon in order to be an impactful NHLer? And more specifically, what would he need to improve upon to become an NHL star? Um, I'll throw the ball to you for this for starters. I've got kind of my answer to this, but I know that you've gotten a lot of thoughts on this. Let's get it started.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think he has to work on his scanning habits. I think that's, that's one of the biggies for me. Uh, yeah. And we, we saw that really burn him quite consistently uh, as a D plus one in the NHL. I think it was the one, the one tool that he needed before making the jump to the NHL that they didn't have. And I think it's one of the main reasons why he struggled and also why he got injured a couple of times is because he yeah. rarely pre-scans before receiving the puck on passes. And it means that then he's going at a high speed, receiving the puck, and then he's scanning after he receives it. And he got lit yeah. up by a couple of hits. Uh, and and I, I know people keep saying like, oh, he has to keep his head up. It's his fault and whatever. That's not trying to blame him for the injuries whatsoever. I just, I think he needed to get that skill down before making a leap to the NHL of yeah. getting into the habit of pre-scanning. And on European ice surfaces, it's not quite as important because you don't have pressure attacking you within a millisecond of getting the puck which is the case in the NHL and also the case in the AHL, but to a lesser extent. And I think he would have needed to develop that in the AHL a bit longer. Uh, and I still think that's a big one. So I, it's also why I still think that if, if the Has were to put him in the AHL for the first half of the season, that that would be good. I, I still am of that belief. Uh, I 100%. think he was rushed. Uh, and in terms of uh, to become a star... I think it, it has to do with layering his abilities. He has a lot of tools that in a vacuum are spectacular in terms of the physicality, the the puck protection, the handling skill, the finesse, uh, e- even just his, his fluidity in his motions. I wouldn't say his agility or, or overall skating, but he's very, very fluid in how he moves around. Those are all massive strengths. And as is his one-touch playmaking, I... There's so many great aspects to Zilfraski's game, but he just he hasn't really figured out how to layer all of that together in a pro context. With the exception of the World Championships, that was the one time he did as a, in his draft year, but he wasn't able to do so in Liga very much, and he wasn't able to in the NHL, which is natural if he if he couldn't do it with TPS and Liga. I think it was optimistic to expect him to to do so as a rookie in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm still quite critical of the Habs having brought him over and brought him to the NHL as quickly as they did.
0: Yeah, that sums it up perfectly for me. I see in Slavkovsky a player with all the individual tools to become a high-end power forward, but with no kind of cohesion between those tools, which is the main thing for me that needs to come a long way. Is just how do you manage to make him use his puck protection, his physicality, his playmaking, his his goal-scoring touch, um, his quick reactions as well. Like how do you put all that together? In a package that works at the NHL level. Because for me, that's the definition of a toolkit, right? Is how how and when you pull out the right tools at the right moment. That's what makes a good handyman. Um, yeah. You know, having the most expensive tools that you can buy doesn't necessarily mean much if you don't know what to do with them and, and when to use them. Um, so that's the main concern for me Slavkovsky. I think it's going to come with time. I still think there is a top six bona fide power forward winger in Slavkovsky. I just... A lot needs to go right in order for that to to kind of work itself out, and especially if we're talking about him becoming a star, it's a lot tougher of a projection than just to see him become a top six piece because he could he could fill that role for sure, but to become a star, he'll need to up his his ante a good five six levels, which if it's if it's possible, it's definitely unlikely. So. I-
1: I think I'm a little bit more optimistic with Slavkovsky than you are. I, I I do think I think the most likely outcome for him is to become of like an analytical darling second line power forward, which is an awesome asset to have. Uh, in terms of that that top line upside, I think on the one hand you're gonna have to have a situation like with line mates on that top line that really complements him well. I don't think he's necessarily the most plug and play player of all time. I think he needs the right situation. He needs some consistency in his line mates, which everyone does, but I think he needs it a bit more. Uh, And I think, I think like, I think one of the reasons that I want him in the AHL to start the season is he hasn't been able to dominate a domestic pro league ever. And uh, this is a player who was developed in pro leagues. So, I think that it would go a long way to put him in Laval, maybe plug him with players like, like like Joshua or Philip Meshar or Riley Kidney along with like a a more veteran presence Uh, Mm -hmm. that I think it would, it would do him a lot of good. And it's also a league where young power forwards really can take some big steps. And I think in terms of leagues to develop particular styles, the AHL Mm -hmm. does rather well with those powerful forwards.
0: No, for sure. Uh, and then we'll end things up with my favorite question, uh, the final question of our Mailback Monday segment. This is a question that wasn't even asked to us. Um, it was just floating around Twitter, and I thought it'd be very interesting to have a discussion about that. So Jack Hahn, uh, a former uh, analyst for the Toronto Marlies, uh, very, very smart hockey guy, um, asked uh, his, his fan base on Twitter, aside from player maturity and skill, what do you think is the biggest difference between junior hockey and the NHL? Now, my mind immediately went to obviously processing speed. Uh, you know, you know, reaction time. Those are things that you have a lot. Um, you have a you have a need for in the NHL that not it, that isn't as required at the junior level. It's obviously a bonus, but you can get away with processing the game a bit slowly. You can get away with um, not having the quickest reaction time if your skill level is high enough. Um, so it, that's obvious for me, in my opinion, yeah. in terms of the difference. But the thing that was. Not as mentioned, that I think is really kind of a major difference between the CHL, uh, or just junior in general, and the NHL, is structure. Basically, mm-hmm. as players develop, as players learn to play that off puck game a lot more efficiently, a lot more accurately, structures become a lot more solid and, and cohesive, whereas in and junior existence. hockey, yeah, in junior yeah. hockey, though, it's porous. It's um, easy to pick apart. And what happens is your high-skill guys thrive off of that because what high-skills guys do at their core is pick apart structures. And that's why you see a guy like Brad Lambert right now who's doing extremely well in the WHL. And it's mainly because he's so, so good at picking apart structures. But on the flip side of that, it's also why very good rush defenders and defensive readers of the game, like guys like Bo Akey, like Tanner molen from last year, that's why they stand out so much is because they negate that problem. They negate the lack of structure, and they make high school guys need to readjust, which is why good rush defenders, really intelligent defensive uh, kind of defensemen, stand out in, in junior hockey as well. What do you think about that?
1: I think structures hit the nail on the head. Like that—that that was that was my thing. I, I agree that like time and space is the obvious one that I think is rightfully being pointed out by everyone answering that question. But I yeah. think, as you mentioned, structures is key because. I think it's it's also about like, the consistency of structures in the NHL. Like you have you have structure the defensive structures that game in game out are going to look pretty similar. Their execution yeah. may may differ, right? If it's like a if it's a back to back, right? What whatever situational factors might might affect it. But as a whole, you, you have a team that has a tight defensive structure. They're going to maintain it because they're able yeah. to. They have players that exactly know their role they know how to fit into their systems in junior hockey it's a lot more fluid of how systems work and they can't be instituted nearly as well as in the nhl like nhl hockey is far more strategic than junior hockey is because of this and i think it's a very very big difference because you have players in junior that thrive off chaos but unless you do so at, at an elite rate it's not the most projectable style to the nhl because if you're thriving off chaos and you're going into a league that is incredibly structured for the game of hockey, which is still quite chaotic, but still a massive difference between pro and junior, that style struggles a lot more, right? So you have you have high-skill players. like I'm, I'm thinking of guys like Nikito sherback for instance, if we're going back a couple of years with the Habs. Yep. In junior hockey, playing with exceptional skill, super chaotic, plays with pace, awesome. But when he encountered structures that he couldn't just pick apart reliably on every single shift he didn't really realize how to be of value anymore and this, it yeah. kind of shows the end of the road uh for a lot of prospects where this is what we mean when is a skill good enough is this is a role that is tough to execute in the nhl because of how structured defenses are
0: mm-hmm
1: is the skill overwhelming enough that it could translate to the NHL? This is kind of the question that we that we ask ourselves a lot. And it's one of, I think, the most important questions to ask yourself in scouting 18, 19, 20-year-old players, because it's all projection. And, and unless the skill is really, really all the way up there, it can be a bit tough.
0: Makes sense, absolutely. Uh, but that wraps things up for today's episode uh, and today's Mailbag Monday. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment telling us what you'd like us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. It is always very much appreciated. Now, a quick teaser for our next episode. We uh, hopped on uh, Locked on Canadians with uh, Laura Saba. Uh, and recorded a good amount of, of talk about the uh, about the Montreal Canadiens' top defenseman prospect uh, in the system. So we're going to be kind of going through that in the next episode, so stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, though, I'm Hattie Kalakesh, joined by Sebastian High, and we'll see you next time.